0: Hello, dear friends, and welcome to another inspiring edition of New Promise Church's weekly sermons. We are truly delighted to have you join us today. Whether you are a longtime member of our congregation or a first time visitor, we extend a warm and heartfelt welcome to you. Each week, we come together in the spirit of fellowship and reflection to explore timeless truths, gain spiritual insights, and draw closer to our Creator. We believe that through the power of the word and the messages shared here, we can find guidance, comfort, and a deeper connection to our faith. Before we begin, I'd like to invite you to take a moment to prepare your hearts and minds for the wisdom and inspiration that will be shared here today. Whether you're listening from the comfort of your home, during your commute, or as part of our congregation, we encourage you to engage with an open heart and an open mind. As we embark on this journey of faith together, Remember that you are not alone. We are a community bound by our shared belief and we are here to support and uplift one another. Now, without further ado, let us turn our attention to the message that awaits us in today's
1: episode. I remember the last time I came some weeks back and uh, you were searching for a pastor and you made a good choice. I've known... I've known Joe since he became a believer, and um, he's always had an infectious resolve in his heart and a dedication to follow and serve the Lord, and there's a lot we can learn from his life. God bless your, your ministry here, Joe. I can sense an infectious spirit here. I can sense a revived spirit. As Pastor Joe mentioned, I've been involved with Biblical Counseling. It's a ministry I started uh, about 20 years ago at Cornerstone in Mayfield. And um, I continue to serve there part-time, kind of semi-retired from the senior pastor role. And one of the most important elements, one of the most important things that a person who comes for counseling needs is hope. They need hope. Many people who seek counseling have lost hope. Uh, Many deal with problems that take place in their past. It could be uh, something that's taking place in their present, a circumstance, a a problem of some site, a difficulty in their present life, or it could be something they fear for the future. You know, the past and the present and the future is a real problem for many people. And in fact, I wouldn't doubt it that there may be someone here that, in a sense, to a degree, this may be a problem for you as well, and you're looking for some hope. I want to direct you to a portion of Scripture that speaks of the ultimate hope. The ultimate hope. This is the greatest hope anyone can have. This is a hope that can rewrite your past, it can rewrite your present, and your future. Please open your Bibles, if you would, to the letter of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We want to look at several verses here, just tremendous verses, that speak of this great hope. Hope. First Peter 1, and that, I want you to follow along as I read verses 3 through 7. You all there? Good, I don't want you to think I'm lying to you. I want to make sure you're looking at it there. Peter writes in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you may you have been grieved by various trials so that to test the genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 3, Peter makes a reference to the living hope. You see that? Living hope. He caused us, God caused us to be born again by a living hope. I mean, hope is essential for life. It's been said, uh, there's a quote that that states that a person can live like four weeks without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but only about four seconds without hope. Hope is something that every one of us need. We survive long that way. We can't survive long without hope. And it gives us confidence, doesn't it? It gives us an inner strength to pursue and endure things. And this is something that God knows about us. So he's given us the ultimate hope. He's given us a living hope. And I want you to notice how how, uh, that Peter characterizes that by this living hope or this lively hope. Living means that it's a hope that's never gonna die. It's a hope that's, living means it's energizing. Living means it's alive, it's active in the soul of a believer you gain strength from this living hope. The more we learn about this living hope, the more we know about this living hope, it gives us inner strength. And it's a hope that stands in contrast to the dead and the false hopes that this world offers. In other words, true Christian hope isn't just, I hope this happens. I hope so. It's not simply some wishful thinking. In fact, it's a hope with substance because it's a hope that's anchored in the past. It's a hope that's anchored in the past. Christian hope is founded on the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which I think is the greatest event in human history. Look again at what Peter writes at the last half of verse 3. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead the historical fact of the resurrection brings hope to our hearts it rewrites our past it's a hope that has power it's a hope that can change our lives in the present consider for example Peter himself the writer of this letter he needed hope After Jesus was arrested and undergoing a mock trial with these trumped-up charges, Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. In fact, he cursed in his denial. And during the crucifixion, he hid for fear because he thought he was next. And then when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in that tomb, that just ended all of Peter's hopes. He thought Jesus was the Messiah, and now he laid in a tomb. Now think about it. What was it that transformed Peter into a fearless preacher just a few weeks later? The resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. Nothing else makes sense. The resurrection gave Peter a living hope. His guilt over his denials, his gloom and despair over the crucifixion, all turned into a living hope. Sometimes our past failures and, our, and the wrongs that others have done to us, they can define us in a negative and in a harmful way. And I've seen it happen in many people's lives. And Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, can rewrite your past. The defining reality of the past no longer need be your sins or wrongs others have committed against you. The defining reality of your past now through salvation in Jesus Christ is that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what is it about the resurrection that gives us such a reason to hope? Well, for one thing, it validates the identity of Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. Death couldn't hold him. It sets him apart from every other religious leader that ever lived. Every other religious leader is still in the grave. It also validates everything Jesus taught. Everything Jesus taught is true, that there is life after death. Life after death is real. Heaven and hell is real. He spoke much about them that he did die for our sins, that his sacrifice on the cross did atone for our sins. Eternal salvation is possible for all who believe, for anyone who places faith in his sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross. They receive forgiveness of sins and are now placed in a right standing before God. Hallelujah. You know, it really doesn't make any difference what you have done in your past. What makes the difference is what Christ has done in the past. Even if you're sitting here this morning, and even if in your past you have ignored him, you have turned away from him, even rebelled against him, this living hope is still offered to you. Nothing can take it away. Why? Because it's anchored in the past. The greatest event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's also a hope that remains in the present. That's the wonderful thing about this hope. The wonderful thing about this hope is that it enables us to live victoriously in our present life. Do you know what brings out the true nature of hope? Any hope that we may have? Difficulties. Difficulties, the difficulties of life. If, you're, if you have a false hope that the world's offered, the difficulties of life, it's gonna fall flat. But not this hope. This living hope sustains us in the midst of difficulties. As a pastor for many years, I've observed people with long-term illnesses, they're sustained by this living hope. I've seen it. I've seen people go through the loss of loved ones, and they're sustained by this hope. I've witnessed people overcome fears and depression and great disappointments in life as they've come to grasp the significance of this great hope. Next year... I'll I'll be walking with the Lord for 50 years and uh, I'm old I just look good (laughs) and through those 50 years I've experienced many trials and I've experienced many losses and what has sustained me for these 50 years is that living hope in Jesus Christ think for example about Peter himself, who he's, I mean, who Peter's writing to. The, these were Christians who were experiencing great difficulties in their life. They were living in an anti-Christian culture, similar to where our, our culture's heading, right? And they were suffering severe trials and persecution. And what Peter says here can minister, not only minister to them, but also minister to us when we go through trials and difficulties of life. Look at what he writes beginning in verse 6. In this you rejoice. What's he referring to? In this you rejoice. He's referring back to the living hope we have in Christ and the eternal future that secured he secured for us. We have a glorious, we have an eternal future to look forward to. And this is meant to bring us inner peace. This is meant to bring us inner joy and to stay, sustain us through various difficulties and trials of this present life. Peter says, In this you rejoice. And he goes on to say, Though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials. A little while, if necessary. And that little while was many years for these early Christians. But he still called it a little while. I think there's a couple of things and very important things that we can learn about the trials of life here. Stating that they're for a little while. I don't think he's trying to minimize the reality of the trials that these early Christians are going through, I don't think that that was his point. I think what he's trying to do is encourage them to endure by putting their present life in perspective of the eternal, the perspective of eternity. I think the idea here is when compared to eternity, our, uh, our time of suffering in life is short. Even if it's a full lifetime, which isn't the case for us, but even if it's a full lifetime, it's still short in light of eternity. When undergoing the trials of life, I think this is something Peter wants us to always keep in mind because we can lose sight of this in this daily grind of life. We need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on the living hope that we have in Christ. And we need to remind ourselves also why God allows trials in our lives. As Peter states, it's to to refine our faith and our character. Look what he says in verse 7. He says that our, our trials have divine purpose. So that, what's the purpose of the trials? So that. To test the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, while these times of testing aren't pleasant, we all know that, nevertheless he calls us to wait patiently, wait patiently for God to accomplish his purposes, to refine our faith, purify our character. You know, our faith is very precious to God. It's very precious to God. He's pleased when we trust in him. And he's eager that our faith would grow and remove any impurities. And what does he do? He uses trials to refine us and to strengthen our faith in him. I mean, you heard the old saying, right? Most Christians aren't very good. Uh, we're we're, we're uh, kind of like tea bags, not very good until we're put in hot water. And that's the idea here. And there's one other thing I think worth noting here <clears throat> about trials is the uh, kind of uh, what's called the paradoxical nature, the paradoxical nature of trials, or we can call it the paradoxical nature of the Christian life. I want you to notice how Peter merges two things together that seem to be paradoxical or contrary, joy and grief. See it? Joy and grief, or sadness and gladness. He puts them side by side He says, In this you rejoice, even though you're being grieved by various trials. Rejoice, joy, but yet grief. In other words, this living hope that we have in Jesus Christ does not exempt us from life's trials and life's hardships. Peter acknowledges that trials bring pain, brings grief, as he says here, sadness anguish. However, one thing he wants us to keep in mind here is that our hope does diminish something. It diminishes the debilitating effects of, of the trials and the sufferings. Christian hope is independent of circumstances. They may cause temporary grief but they can't diminish this inner peace this inner joy that's rooted in our living hope in Christ that's something I've experienced in my life time and again even through difficult times I've always had something inside that living hope that would diminish those debilitating effects of what I was going through. Our hope may not change what's going on around us, but it should change what's going on inside us. If we were to only look at things strictly on the human level, It would be very easy to lose hope, wouldn't it? Do you watch the news lately? And this is something that Peter is telling us not to do. So in summary, what's Peter saying here? Well, he's saying because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. It's anchored in the past. Nothing can take it away from us. And it also remains in the present, enabling us to live victoriously Even through the difficulties of life. And then Peter adds one more thing here. He says it's a hope that's completed in the future. Let's read once again what he writes here in verses three through five. And as we do, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the glorious future inheritance that's awaiting believers. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And notice what he writes in verse 4. To an inheritance, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith in a salvation to to be revealed in the last time. Peter speaks about a salvation as being ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, when Christ returns. Then he says our salvation is going to be fully realized Now I want you to notice how verse four describes this living hope of our future inheritance because it tells us that we not only, uh, now not only enjoy, uh, now is what we actually enjoy is just a small part of what God actually has in store for us. We really can't begin to comprehend it all, but we have to trust him for it. It's it's really beyond our imagination. Romans 8.18 expresses it this way. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to to be revealed in us. The ultimate glory that Christians are going to receive is going to be so stupendous that the sufferings of this present time are going to seem significant in comparison, not worth comparing with the glory that's gonna be revealed in us. And notice the certainty of which Peter speaks of this glorious inheritance awaiting, awaiting believers. Look at he uses words such as imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for you, guaranteed and guarded by God himself, you see that? It's an imperishable Inheritance. It doesn't have an expiration date on it. It can never die. It can never be destroyed. He says it's an undefiled inheritance. It's flawless. It's perfect. No one can mess with it. No one can change it. It's an unfading inheritance. In other words, it's not going to grow old. We're not going to be, it's not going to be something we're going to be bored with after a while. It's never going to lose its magnificence. It's unfading. And he also says that this inheritance is being what? Kept in heaven for you. By whom? God himself. Kept in heaven for you. That's where it remains safe. It remains secure guaranteed it says and guarded by God himself we have bank accounts and we probably have investments and you know our bank accounts can go up and down our investments can go up and down right right now they're going down a lot right but we have an internal investment that we can count on God has rewritten our future as believers. It's a future of hope. And he's keeping and he's guarding our inheritance in heaven, and it's never gonna perish, it's never gonna spoil, and it's never gonna fade. You know what Peter's point is here in this? What Peter's point is, when you know the future is gonna be better, then the present is better already. If you know the future is going to be better, then the present is better already. The certainty of the knowledge here, of this knowledge, is meant to sustain us in the trials and the hardships of this present life. We have an eternal future to look forward to. We have a solid, secure future. And this, in turn, is meant to instill within us an inner peace, an inner joy, and a strength to endure this present life. I think what Peter's saying here is to think of it this way, if you were going through a great crisis, but you knew in the end that everything was going to work out in your favor. Would that calm many of your fears and anxieties as you're going through it? Would it of course it would, right? Reminds me of this guy I knew. He was a real character. <laughs> he, he loved watching Cleveland sports team. He loved watching the Cavs. He loved watching the Browns. And he loved watching the Indians. Now it's called what? The, uh, the Guardians. I'm having a hard time with that one. Trying to remember that. But there's one thing he told me. He says that whenever, when the Cavs were in the playoffs and years ago when the Indians were in the playoffs... He said he couldn't watch it in real time. So what he would do, he would, he would record it, but he wouldn't watch it. He said he didn't like that seesaw nature of, of, the, of the playoffs. He, he would feel anxiety, he'd feel fear in every shot, every play, you know, every pitch. So he wouldn't watch it in real time. Instead, he would record it, and then he would would watch it later. But after, before he watched it, after the game was over, he said he would find out who won, if they won or if they lost. And then he'd watch the recording. And he says, Armin, man, all my anxiety, all my fears just ditched, disappeared as I was watching that game because I knew how it was gonna end. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us. It tells us how the game of life is going to end for the child of God. And knowing the ending helps us deal with what's happening now in between. Peter actually says the best is yet to come. Look at what he writes in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your minds for action. Set your hope fully, he says, on this grace that's going to be brought to you. We're to live with a personal attitude of just this constant expectation, this constant reliance upon what God has promised in Christ, what he's promised that he's going to do. In that new heaven and in that new earth that God is going to create, God himself is going to dwell with us. Think of that one. We'll have resurrected bodies like Jesus. The new heaven and the new earth is called the place of no more. No more disease. No more weariness, no more pain, no more sin. And even though this present earth, there's a lot of beauty to it, a lot of magnificent things in this present earth compared to to the beauty of the new earth is going to be indescribable, unimaginable. So much more beautiful. And brethren, we're going to be God's people in God's place, in God's presence for eternity. How can you still be sitting there? How come you're not jumping up and down right now? Peter's telling us in these few verses that God has rewritten our past, present, and future. And what's the link that connects these three dimensions of our life? The living hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through faith in, this, in, the, in, the, in our relationship with Christ, we can possess this living hope. Because it's a hope that's anchored in the past. Jesus rose from the dead. And it's a hope that remains in the present. He's alive. And it's a hope that's going to be completed in the future. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. This may be a good time just to pause for a moment, but why don't you bow just for a time some reflection let me ask do you have this living hope the tremendous implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ should have an effect upon our lives if it has no effect upon our lives then you may not have this hope in your heart it calls us to evaluate our eternal focus And the question is, are you swallowed up by the problems of this temporal life? Or are you sustained by this living hope? Don't miss the real resurrection, the real message of the resurrection. This living hope belongs to all who have placed their trust in Christ's uh, atoning sacrifice on the cross. If you do not possess that hope, you can, through an act of faith, the Bible says, "If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not believe in a ceremony, but believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. Would you confess that now? If that's your heart's confession, then speak to God now from your heart. Father, we give you thanks for this glorious living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, a hope that rewrites our past, rewrites our present and rewrites our future what a glorious thing Jesus Christ has done we give you thanks Lord for giving us your word that we can read how we can be in a right relationship with you through Christ your son And may you instill within each and every person in this room, Lord, that their eyes would be fixed on that eternal hope as they go through the various ups and downs of life. I ask this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. And with that, I would ask you to rise for our closing song. (music) Oh <music>